Hey, folks, it's Joanne Freeman. We have a special treat today. We're making this week's full backstage segment available for free to the broader Now and Then community. Backstage is where we share our personal reflections on the topic of the week. And we often look back on the moments in our own lives that helped shape our views on politics, on teaching, on the world. This week, that meant talking about the barriers that we faced as women historians with public platforms. And I'll add here that as Heather and I were talking our way through the backstage segment, we realized that a lot of what we were saying was both universal enough and important enough that it deserved a broader audience. Typically, Backstage is only available with the Cafe Insider membership. To hear Backstage every week, become a member at cafe.com history. That's cafe.com history. And now, on to Backstage. So, Joanne, this episode, with its parallel tracks of women seeing things slightly differently and having to figure out ways around gatekeepers to get their vision of the world before the public, at the same time they're facing harassment for doing that, struck a few chords, would you say? Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Well, and it's one of the interesting things about not just social media, but also the land of virtual or remote events, is that in some ways that equalizes power, right? Because if you're on social media, you throw yourself out there like everybody else, and it's a question of what people do with it. And the same thing during virtual or remote events, those can be equalizing because it's not as the one person is louder and taking over. It's more different voices, I guess I would say, more marginalized typically voices can get into that conversation easier so on the one hand, that's all good. And on the, on the other hand, that means you get smacked at even more because heaven forbid you're a woman that has something to say publicly and you get smacked at not by someone saying that's a dumb idea. You get smacked at largely, or at least I do, for being a woman, right? You dumb fill in all the words for foul words for women or commenting on my, my looks or whatever, you know, rather than saying, ah, you dumb liberals, blah, 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 or you stupid, you know. It always has something to do with trying to somehow disqualify me and make me feel horrible by commenting in one way or another on how I fail at being a woman. I just, I have to drop just my favorite one in here because it's so stupid, but it's so extreme. Someone once, I was on TV and I had said something, not radical, but something that was to the left, And someone called my office phone and he ranted at me for, you know, being a dumb fill in the blank. And then he said, and another thing, you need a manicure. (laughs) 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 So on the one hand, he's watching that closely, right? That he notices my nails aren't painted. And on the other hand, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the personal harassment, I think, is really interesting because it really is not an intellectual recognition of a different opinion, where, you know, one of the things that always jumps out to me is I love to argue ideas. That's my happy place. Like, when I get together with my friends, I I mean, like, you you know this— we talk about ideas and we argue about ideas and that's what we do for fun. So I love to argue about ideas. As long as you have facts to back them up, of course, that's not opinion, that's ideas. That's different 
than ad hominem attacks, which say you don't even belong at this table. I'm going to I'm going to exclude you by calling you all those words, by complaining that you don't look right, by all those things because you aren't supposed to be part of this party. And it, and it doesn't it doesn't have necessarily just have to be looks. It can also be one of my favorites and and I'm not going to mention who said this, but somebody got unhappy with the way that I was talking about the Trump administration on Twitter and said that I was mentally ill and should not be allowed to teach. And the idea of calling a woman mentally ill, based on my factual recounting of the Senate report on the relationship between the Trump administration and the Republican operatives, that the report that was written by Republicans, you know, my factual recounting of that suggested I was mentally ill and should not be teaching. That was just so, let's put you on a dunking stool because you're a witch. I mean, it was really, really striking. And it goes all the way back to, you know, 19th century women are hysterical. Look at them. They're, they're emotional. They're hysterical. They, you, you can't believe what they say. It's, it is the attempted equivalent of a dunking stool. Well, and the other thing that has really jumped out, speaking of people like Martha Gellhorn, with the rise of Donald Trump, women saw it from the beginning. Remember? You and I were, were back and forth with each other. I remember sitting in a taxi going to a gig in Philadelphia, and you and I were going back and forth online about this very thing, that we could see things and we could, it was plain as day, and it was not necessarily being noticed by men looking at the same political scene. Yes, yeah, saying this is not that big a deal. And and that when, when Gellhorn steps up and says, fascism is a real issue here, we got to do something about it, and I need to be in the fight, I don't think it's an accident that it was female journalists. And, and just a reminder that you know, you and I are not journalists, right? But that female journalists saw immediately, immediately what was going on in a way that men didn't and were dismissed as, you say, being hysterical. Reading, preparing for this episode and then talking through this episode, I couldn't help, and I'll bet Heather the same thing was happening to you, that there were moments flashing through your head even one or two that you already mentioned, when someone is is just explicitly, publicly trying to humiliate you or or say to a reading audience, to a live audience, she doesn't belong here. And I'm going to embarrass the heck out of her and she'll know she doesn't belong here. Oh my God, the list of things we could make. Indeed. And yet, one of the things that I found so inspiring about these women is that when faced with that, they found a workaround. And they continued, you know, Anne Royal, I mean, the freaking dunking stool. And then she goes and starts a newspaper that she might as well just call F you as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, Paul Pry or the Huntress. And, you know, the idea that women have always been powerful observers of the world. And a number of women have not been able to stop talking about that because they see that as their mission in the way, for example, that Gellhorn did or that Payne did or perhaps that Olson did. You know, I really love the idea that people like us are in part of a long tradition that, you know, we, we're still fighting some of the same battles, but we're also in, in awfully good company. We are. We are not journalists, and yet the policing feels so much the same, right? 
I, throughout this episode, speaking through, about this episode, I was thinking about two things. I was thinking about one case in which the second thing that I had published was about dueling, politics and dueling. And it went out into the world to get judged and people decided whether it was going to be published or not without a name attached to it. So nobody knew, man, woman, or whatever. So the reviews that I got back from esteemed scholars, historians who signed their names to their reviews. So they were like, you know, one of them even said, I'm never anonymous. I always sign my name. And they all said in one way or another, of course, the writer must be a man. In that language, right? Of course, this must be a man who's right. And at one point, uh, I befriended someone who was in that circle and asked him, what is this? Like, why? I wrote about dueling and politics. Why do I have to be a man to do that? And he said, oh, Joanne, we consider it locker room stuff, and women aren't supposed to understand it. Locker room. Locker room stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I can believe that by the time I got to my my third book, my agent and I had a discussion about whether or not it would be a good idea to stop using Heather and just become H.C. Richardson. And I suspect writing what I write about, if I were known as H.C. Richardson as opposed to Heather Cox Richardson, I would have been much more welcome in certain circles than I was as Heather. And and in retrospect, had I known now, then what I know now, I, I probably would have just written under H.C. Richardson and but stayed think about as invisible what that as I erases. Ah, You know, the fact that you are who you are with your name, doing what you do as loudly as you do it, that's as important as what you're saying. But I had to do it around getting around the gatekeepers. Well, exactly. And that's the thing is the gatekeepers, you know, it's tempting. We, we're talking about history on this podcast, and it makes you want to think that this is like the ancient past, you know, and it isn't. I, at one point when I was working on, early in my career, working on, you know, the founders and, and the culture of politics among the founders, I was at a public event. And very often at the beginning of my career, I was the only woman. I would be the only woman at these events. And in this particular case, that was the case. And they had someone else speaking that day stand up and introduce me. And he started out with a normal introduction. You know, she's done this and she's done that. She's done this. And then he said, and then there were those two years where she was a stripper in San Diego. (gasps) Whoa. And there were witnesses to that. So it was not, I'm not creating that. And I'm standing in front of a crowd and he says that. What'd you do? I, you know, I didn't know what to do. I said before I started, really interesting introduction there, name. And then I just did what I was going to do. He then later talked about trying to get me a date at the dinner table. Come on, you know, talk about public humiliation. Can you imagine in front of an audience introducing anyone that way, but introducing a woman with the stripper? I, I, words fail me. Yes, yes. On that cheery note. I know. Well, but no, but this gets back to what you said about the name you're writing under, right? That's why it matters that we, yet we persisted, that we have voices, they're loud voices. We are out in the world speaking what we want to speak. You know, we are saying what we feel needs to be said for reasons that we both feel are exceedingly important right now. And, you know, if it's harder because we're women, Women know that. Any woman who's a public commentator of any kind knows that. And if they're speaking out in the public, you know that they feel that they have something important to say. 
But you know what just sprang to mind when you said that? It has been my experience that when I have critiqued, and this is, of course, I'm speaking in blanket ways here, and I want to emphasize that there have been so many incredibly supportive men and, and all that. But an intellectual critique often is taken by a male journalist or historian as personal, even though it's not personal at all. I mean, I, I sort of feel like, and you and I have done this before, I can say to you, Joanne, this is not your best work. Take this back to the drawing board. And it's not personal at all. It's about the work. They respond with personal attacks. And I find that just bizarre. I find it just bizarre. Or they, resp re they respond with attacks that are couched as intellectual attacks, but they're really, and not exactly like the stripper thing, but they're really underhanded. Rather than saying, you know, I disagree with this and here's why, here are the points, bang, 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 which is totally legitimate. That's actually what we like to do. It's more like, oh, she's mentally ill. All right, well, it's, it's like, how dare you say that to me? I don't deserve criticism. Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah, the you're not. Thing. You have no right to criticize me. You have you? no right to be wrong about this. You have no right to write a book that is different than my book, which is the book that that is the one that really is the expert book on this field. So I guess the, we have to end this with a somewhat rosier note. Uh, let's just <laughs> actually, we actually we have to end this with blood pressure medication. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> After we sign off, <laughs> After we sign off. Before we take the blood pressure medication, let's just say, folks out there in the world, if you have something to say, and if you're a woman who wants to say it and feel like you can't, it's worth it to find a way to say it. Thanks for listening to this week's Backstage. In order to get access to Backstage every week, become a Cafe Insider at cafe.com/history. That's cafe.com slash history. You'll also get access to exclusive podcasts, columns, and events, including the Cafe Insider Podcast with Preet Bharara and Joyce Vance. Right now, you can try out the Cafe Insider membership for just $1 for one month. We hope you consider becoming a member. And to all of you who have already chosen to join the Cafe Insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>